Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Um, thank you so much, man, for spending your time here, uh, for hanging out with me on the podcast. Your presence is um, deeply uh, appreciated and valued. So thanks so much for hanging out with me on the podcast. I think I have a really great episode uploaded for us as I have a conversation with Prophet Calvin Witcher. Now, the Prophet is somebody that I've heard on a lot of different podcasts through the years, and I've always deeply valued what he um, and really loved what he had to bring to the conversation, the conversation of Christianity and its history um its application the spirituality of it what he has to bring to the conversation about the bible also what he brings to the conversation about the use and the practice of magic uh and so i think that this is going to be a discussion for those of you that are interested in expanding that you'll enjoy a great deal i have a couple of mutual friends with the uh, prophet Calvin Witcher, uh, Reverend Valerie Love and True Seeker, uh, both wonderful people. And so I had always kind of hoped that our paths would at some point cross. And so I was given the opportunity to initiate an invite and he accepted. And uh, so I was really excited about the opportunity to have this conversation with him. And I think you're going to dig it. I, I really enjoyed him, and I really enjoyed the conversation. The um, kindness that you hear on the um, podcast is the same kindness that he extends um, in all the interactions that you'll that that I have personally had with him. And so he's just a beautiful, wonderful soul. And it's an honor, really, to, to have the conversation with him. Now, if you'd like to know a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper into Prophet Calvin Witcher, the, the best way to do that, I think, is to go to his website. He's very active on Facebook, um, and so I would encourage you to follow him there, friend him there. He's got a community as well that you can be a part of. Um, but I, I think the, the best place to start initially is his website, which is a phenomenal um, uh, envy worthy site and it's calvinwitcher.com I'm going to spell it for you it ought to be it ought to be elementary for you right pretty simple but um, for the sake of detail it's c-a-l-v-i-n-w-i-t-c-h-e-r.com and um, you can learn so much about him and his accomplishments and what he has offered you know to the evolution of humanity and i would encourage you to take a look at that now before we jump into the podcast um let me say a couple of quick things if you don't follow the black sheep experience on facebook instagram or twitter i want to encourage you to do that um as i've said in the past in case you haven't heard this invitation to do that um the twitter account is all but dead I'm going to try to revive that at some point, but you know, with all this election stuff, it's just been so caustic. It's just been this incredible cesspool of um, hate, really, and so I just can't hardly stand to be on that particular platform, um, but I'm pretty active on Instagram, and I'm pretty active on the Facebook page as well, so I would love for you to follow 
um, those in, in those two spaces. And also, if you like the podcast, I would continue to ask that you would share the uh, the podcast on your sphere of influence on your social media platforms, whatever it is that you're really good at. Maybe you're good at all three of them. I know there's additional ones out there, but whatever's your jam, right? Whatever you're really good at, man, uh, let your friends know that the podcast exists. I would really deeply appreciate that. Okay, so that's it, man. Let's jump into what I think is going to be a really valuable conversation. Um, I would encourage you to listen intently, to pull and draw from it whatever's good for you and um, be a part of your, you know, your personal evolution. So let's jump into the conversation with the prophet Calvin Witcher. much for hanging out with me on the podcast. I appreciate it. I have a, um, I, I think, uh, just a really interesting guest today that I'm really excited about. Uh, he's a best-selling author. Uh, the, the, the best way I really to, I think, connect with him is uh, through uh, his um, website, which we'll talk about in a few moments. Um, welcome to the program, Prophet Calvin Witcher. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me here, and thank you for everyone that's listening right now. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, so um, I, I connected with you through Kaisi or, or Reverend Valerie Love, and um, I've listened to you on a lot of different podcasts. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, what you do. I know that you're an author. I know that you have um, like an ecclesiastical community. So before we get into um, all the things that I want to uh, uh, pull from you, let's talk a little bit about what you do exactly. You know, that's always a fun conversation. One of the things that I, well, uh, let me backtrack. One of the things I used to do is I used to do coaching, consulting. I have a background on the corporate side of things with um, training, specifically franchising world. Um, I've owned businesses for gosh, quite a many um, years, and I've been in the spiritual slash business industry for a good 30 years, like three decades, <laughs> so um, I've done everything from coaching, advising, counseling, um, to just spiritual teaching, so now my, primarily what the focus is, is on pneumology, which is my body of philosophical work, uh, my ecclesiastical community we call New Mind. And a lot of advising for my emerging um, business owners that are building empires and dynasty. And part of what I really um, desire in helping them is to help them become immortal. So um, I, I often say behind closed doors, we have a, a God factory where we're really helping to um, build up the next generation of divine leaders. So that's a lot of my focus right now. Yeah, so um, I've seen you through, I guess your, you know, all the different podcasts. But what's is what's the, really the best way for people if they want to get more information uh, about what you do? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Is that through the website? You know, the website is a really good uh, jumping point. I have a lot of my products and programs that we have currently going on. 
on the website. So the website is a good place. One of the probably best ways to connect with me is definitely on social media. I tend to be pretty active there. Um, so Facebook tends to be the um, the first line of defense. YouTube is a close second. Uh, we're working on the Instagram <laughs> side of things. <laughs> so if someone's on Instagram, you, you might not hear from me quite as often. But Facebook is definitely a, a great place to start. And, and obviously, the website, they can join our newsletters there. Uh, we have a text message community that I send out content as well. But yeah, the website, calvinwitcher.com, is a good place to start. Okay. So I think, uh, you know, we've had some... Um, some interaction you and I and and my background is uh, I was a, a Christian pastor for 25 years and I came nice. through the Pentecostal type of setting. All right. Yes. We, we have some similar background. Yeah. Yeah. So we do. And um, I I think that my my faith is still rooted within the the um, the Christian narrative, but I've also branched out quite a lot. Um, through the study of Buddhism and the Tao and um, magic as well. And so I, I kind of label myself now as a Christian witch, although I, I think that that's, you know, witch is a term that is, um, it has so many uh, different, I think, definitions to it. But but you're also a practitioner of um, magic. And so and, and you know quite a lot about the, the Christian witch concept and, and uh, some of those biblical terms that give us trouble from time to time. So let's, can we talk a little bit about your magical practice and, and I, I guess kind of what is involved in that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, I, I, let me, I'd be remiss if I did not say this. We have to acknowledge the goddess herself, um, Kaisi. I love Reverend Bao. She's um, a dear soul and a dear friend um, on so many different levels. So if she's watching this, or listening to this right now, I definitely want to send a shout out to her. We love you. We love you. We love you. And um, for those that don't know her, they definitely should follow her. Um, yeah, my background is very similar. I grew up on the Christian side of things, born and raised, as we'd say, um, you know, was in every position with the church from being an usher to um, minister of music to eventually more of a leadership role, um, assistant pastor, associate pastor, eventually pastoring as well. Um, did the circuit speaking thing in a lot of churches and uh, Christian and non um, as well. Went to seminary. And yeah, so I have that whole background, um, which I always appreciate. Um, my magical practice is a very interesting thing. So in the simplest version, a lot of my, I, I say my role here on the planet as prophet is that that comes along with a lot of unique abilities <laughs> um, as they were. So a lot of my magic is, is very much ingrained into the calling you know or it's very much like if someone were going to work at a company and they became the ceo or the coo um having a certain position does give you certain powers and authorities to be able to act um, to be able to ultimately do your job effectively so it's very much the same way with me being profit there are some magical things that happen or come along with the job as it were so for instance um, the spoken word and manifestation through speaking is a very strong thing with me. Um, visioning, uh, being able to see into the future um, or past what's happening in the present is a very strong 
um, gifting <laughs> that comes along with it. However, with that being said, I am very much a proponent that even if you have uh, either instinctive or integrated powers that come along with whatever your calling is, we still have a responsibility to still cultivate those things. And so as a consequence, I am a ceremonial magi- magician, uh, a high priest. I do tend to lean towards more Enochian magic. I love Solomonic magic as well. Um, I love the work of Crowley, who does uh, arguably a lot of chaos magic side of things. And yeah, I mean, my background is the Bible, so I love the integration with it. A lot of people that, once they go deeper into magic anyway, um, arguably, I would say a huge majority of, of traditional magic is rooted in, in the scriptures, um, not just the Holy Scriptures like the Bible, but uh, a lot of ancient texts. But since we're talking about Christianity, we'll stick with that. Um, a lot of the ancient um, figures that have been in the Bible, some not. Um, well, let me rephrase it. A lot of prominent figures in the Bible that people know about um, were not, you know, let's see, um, they weren't afraid of magic. It was kind of part of the experience. Um, Joseph, uh, we have Solomon himself. Um, I would argue that a lot of the prophets, if not all of the prophets, had a, a, you know, a sect of magic that they worked and operated with within their power. I've said it before, Jesus being a magician as well is not an uncommon experience. Um, if you study a lot of the Jewish texts, the Mithras, the uh, Tanakh, the Torah, you, you'll oftentimes find a lot of commentary, especially with Jewish commentaries, about certain figures that worked in that magical, mystical space. And, and honestly, honestly, to the Jews, that's not a far concept. They blend the, the works of tradition with mysticism quite well. Um, a little bit different than the Christians, the traditional Christians, that, that is. So to me, when I hear Christian witch, Arguably, I kind of start to hear more of a original Jewish context to the scriptures and to magic, less Christian in the in the structural sense. But I understand the concept quite well. Um, yeah. So yeah. here's the interesting thing. I I, I think for me, um, as a uh, a Pentecostal, I, I see a lot of, of the can, I guess similarities between. The, the magical practices um, that I partake in and, you know, what used to be just, um, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or, or you know, prophecy and, and some of those kinds of things. So yes. I, I noticed a lot of similarities there. But as I begin to, I think, expand spiritually um, and really dive into the historical, I guess, evolution of Christianity at some point there really seemed to be a um, I, I guess a distancing from what it appeared to be that Jesus was teaching and what the disciples were practicing and um, almost a a, um, a structured um, governmental manipulative practice that really just sort of used icons of the Christian faith uh, as 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 spheres of influence. 
um, I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little tangled up here, but th there just seems to be a real difference between what we see biblically and what is uh, called Christianity today. Would you agree um, that there's a oh. difference? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would say one of the issues that um, really started to pervade the church really came, I, I mean, there were certain points of entry that this really occurred with. Obviously, the Council of Nicaea was mm. a big one. I will say King James was, in my assessment of the situation, I think King James probably did one of the worst <laughs> um, blows to magic and the mystical community than a lot of other figures because i mean if you're in a lot of traditional spaces of christianity to this day specifically baptists um they will swear by king james <laughs> of the king the king james bible only in some span you know standpoints of pentecostal too which i grew up pentecostal and baptist so i got the i feel like the best of both worlds we got the structure on the baptist and the teaching but spiritual um gifts and the euphoric experiences of the spirit I got from the Pentecostal side of things. But, yeah, um, James, King James, um, is an interesting fellow to me. He later in his life came, um, wrote a book on demonology. It's pronounced something like the, um, demonologue, um, as it was called. And in that book of demonology, he's pretty much talks about everything magic and sorcery but from a place of you know really despising it how you know the powers that be were out to kill the church that um but it was really tainted so one of the things that a lot of people don't really realize um from king james king james was an explorer one king james was an interesting fellow because he was reportedly bisexual um leaned more towards men although a lot of people don't even understand that which I think is very funny for someone that has um, all but popularized the Bible. <laughs> mm. um, but so King James had some things happening sexually speaking. Um, he was also reported to be pretty lascivious um, where he participated in bathhouses, uh, things like that. Orgies was, wasn't a, a foreign thing to him. So on the sexual side of it, he was already exploratory. He, his exploratory nature veered into the magical community and he was extremely um fascinated by it very much like king james was a lot of other um figures in the bible too that um solomon that he started to investigate and what happened was he in a long making a very very long story short he eventually uh, made enemies with a couple of local covens and a, a couple of witches in the community. Uh, now, before that time, he was patronizing them, using them for services, which was not uncommon, definitely in ancient times, where they used um, psychics and, um, you know, people that read tea leaves uh, or runes. That was just very, very common. Um, and we see that throughout the scriptures. I mean, we see runes being used a lot, um, being used kind of like a mm -hmm. gambling process with picking the disciples we see um those lots also being used when we figure out who was on the the boat when they threw um noah over right so magic's all all through the scriptures and not really demonized as much as how people would attribute it so for king james king james was very much in that same community of uh, exploration and using it for 
it's it's nature. Um, he eventually had um, a really bad situation where uh, several of the witches kind of started to curse him. They started to attack him. He started having really nice, horrible nightmares. He started to go insane in a sense, um, which is another aspect to King James where he they felt like he really cracked towards the end of his life, which I would arguably say was um, – I would say it was probably because of the magic thing because just the nature of magic. Magic has consequences. Um, and so eventually he got – fearful um, of this mystic witchcraft community and so then when they started to come back after him because he broke some promises he did some things etc they then he started coming after them but he used the power of the church as far as his weaponizing uh, witchcraft and then q he came up with his book on demonology um and so this is when we start to really see uh, a lot of the witch hunt and falling away as separating witchcraft or sorcery magic from the traditional teachings of um, the Jewish community, eventually the Christian community. And like anything else, it just kind of snowballed in in and of itself. And he, I mean, it's interesting, he went over a lot of topics that I would think were even mm, ahead of the, their time, potentially. <laughs> Um, I mean, he went over everything from divination to necromancy to um, ancient black magic, which would have been very much similar to what we call chaos magic today. Um, he talked about vampires, werewolves. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that he covers in there that he speaks from a place of truth and from a place of experience. Now, for us today, most people, especially westernized culture, you hear things like werewolves and vampires. We're like, oh, that's cinema, that's Hollywood. To them, this was very commonplace. So that's how they lived in that magical community. So what he wrote, he was writing from a, a place of um, tremendous experience. And so it, all that to say, going back to the, the topic at hand, that's when I start, I, I feel that like we started seeing a really um, push into demonizing those things. I will also add this too. As time went on, especially past the, uh, I think it was in a, I think it was in Kings, first or second Kings, that the scripture records that um, there arose a people that knew not the God of their ancestors, and it was it's always a very interesting phrase to me because one of the things I've seen as a, a student of the scriptures um, i don't know if i'm necessarily a scholar but definitely a student that as generations go on passing down the the nature and the relationship with the deities of our you know mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers um becomes more difficult to do and so when we start to see the scriptures at the beginning um you know we start to see the scriptures very powerful. We see, you know, people living longer. We see um, people calling fire down from heaven. We see people stopping the sun. We see people um, parting the Red Sea and the Jordan. We see miracles happening that are extremely commonplace. Even miracles, I've said this before, but miracles are extremely commonplace in the days of the scriptures. I mean, it was literally like someone saying, oh, I'm a life coach. Like, okay, well, who isn't a life coach these days? <laughs> I mean, it was literally that commonplace. Every religion, every philosophy, every spiritual teacher had some 
miraculous aspect. And again, this is not to take away from anything that Jesus represents or did, but quite honestly, people were already doing every miracle that Jesus was doing prior to Jesus, um, including being raised from the dead. That was not new in India. They were already doing that. But as time goes on, we lose a lot of or have lost a lot of that maybe outright visible manifestation of miraculous power and you know magic and so what happens is when and this is just true to form with a lot of industries whenever people don't have power they always lean to philosophy mm. so where we have really lost a lot of the outright power of i would say of the scriptures but of nature and of the universe itself it then got replaced with philosophy us trying to explain things that people never experienced and this is q christianity q magic um across the board today i have witnessed and i firmly believe we don't have um the widespread power and obvious power that we used to now some of us are, have that arguably but even then it's not as prominent um as it used to be or or as it you know it's not as prominent as it could be yeah, don't, don't you think that? Yeah, I was gonna say, don't you think that the the like the more we lean towards things like doctrine, um, and and logic, we begin to lose connection with something that's maybe non-material or or metaphysical. I would say no, and but again, I, I'm probably a rare rarer breed on the magical side with that and I, I love this particular conversation I really do I actually teach very often that power can be proved that mm. the working manifestation of spirit the Holy Ghost whatever you want to call it um, magic can be proved I think the challenge and I, what I've witnessed as the challenge with this generation and the last few generations is that those that do not have power don't understand that concept. It, it's cerebral and philosophical. It needs to be explained. And so there's a, a huge um, credence or maybe um, viability, maybe, that goes along with people talking about it, trying to explain it, but yet haven't experienced it, which is a problem. Secondarily, I'm a big proponent that if you are a good um, magician or sorcerer at any level, you are also a great scientist, or you need to be a great scientist. Being a definitely once you get to a place of being a high priest, you almost don't have the luxury to not think and process like that because everything I would say everything in magic to me is scientific. It is what are you using? How are you using it? How does it work? When did it work? When did it not work? Uh, grimoires are nothing but the recordings of a magician's work. That's it. What 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 happened? When it worked? Why it didn't work? It's all a trial and error experience. If you if it's a lifestyle, if if you're doing magic as a one off, like people do church, like uh, they go to church two times a year. That's for Easter and maybe Christmas. It, this makes zero sense. It's like, well, it's not that big of a deal, you know, or like people say in the church, like, I don't have to go to church. I, wherever I am, I am the church. I can stay at home. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's oftentimes what people say when they are refusing to connect and cultivate a communal experience. And oftentimes people say that because they've been hurt by the church. So then that's their 
sly way of saying I don't want to go and connect with people because last time people hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. Magic works the same way. People, I have often found that people will say, oh, it, you know, you, you can do magic a lot of different ways. There's no wrong or right way to do that. And everybody that I've ever heard say that tend to not be living the magical lifestyle as a point of commitment, but they use it as a point of trying to, they usually use magic when they're trying to do something or get something, which may be once a month or once every couple of months. So I go back to this, that I am a big proponent of diving deeper into magic or spirituality at whatever level people are operating at. It's got to be tested, got to be tried, and it's got to be proved. Uh, but I'll give you a great example. So a couple of months ago, I think it was like two or three months ago, in my community, I have where we they do altar work. They do, they're, they're actually praying to me as one of their um, points of deity reference. And, uh, and part of the conversation, or the instructions rather, was to give me exactly what they were looking to manifest. And so one of my people, and, and they, they do the whole nine yards. So just like we anyone that's ever done altar work or magic work, you're giving offerings, you're building your altar, it's a ceremony, it's a ritual, it's a whole process. So, But they're doing it towards me because that's a different part of what I do. And so one of the conversations that we had with one of our um, students and members was asking them what do they want to make with their business the following month. They said $10,000, right? And so I said, okay, Great, done. That was that was one. Two, they also wanted to sell out their program. They were doing a business program, a group program. I said, okay, done. So they, they did their offering. They did their prayer. I did my work in conjunction with them. Um, I think it was about two weeks that went by, maybe a week and a half. And she came back into the group and reported. She says, oh, my gosh, I sold out my program. So I think she wanted 10, and she ended up getting 14 people into the program, which is great um now on that side of things sticking with magic she said she wanted to sell out her program the program was 10 people she sold 14. i would say the magic worked she sold out the program so the second part of this was an interesting one she said she wanted to make ten thousand dollars now she ended up making fourteen thousand dollars that next month actually she ended up making it within that two to three week cycle so before you even got to the next month, which we celebrated, but from a point of me teaching it, I also had to say that potentially is a failure. Why? Because the request was ten thousand dollars, not fourteen. Hmm. The request was not ten thousand plus two cents. It was ten thousand dollars exactly. Now we could argue this. <laughs> semantically a lot of different ways. Well, is that who's going to be upset about you making more money? It's not about that. It's about the specificity of the request and the accuracy of it. Mm-hmm. I was, and I don't have a problem saying, I don't think that that was a, a success from a couple of different levels. One, when you ask, sometimes we do ask a miss, but we don't ask in a point of clarity. So I then spoke to her about it. I said, well, next time what we need to do is we need to preface and condition us a little bit more to say at least $10,000 or more than $10,000, which then when you make more than $10,000, then that request that gets granted is accurate. 
Now, on my end, I looked at this too and said, well, why did you give her more than what was even asked? Well, a couple of different things. One, I feel like I'm a good father, <laughs> spiritual father. So clearly, if you say I want to make five, I say, well, why not eight? You want to make 10? Well, why not 15? That's just my mindset. So from a magical perspective, when I broke it down, I said, well, her desire was 10, but mine was more than what she asked. So in one sense, it was a success. Although if we look at it very specifically, then I would say it was not, it was not successful, even though (laughs) she made more money. Now, why do I, why do I scrutinize that much? Because if I flip this around in a different context, then people do care about specificity. Let's do a different example. If you had a spouse or a loved one in the hospital and uh, someone prayed, let's, I'm going to use me for an example because it's easier. Someone prayed to me and says, okay, I want my um, loved one to, um, to be better. I want them to heal. I want them to do better. I want them to be great. Okay? Mm-hmm. Pray for my loved one. Okay, I pray for them. They die. Is the, is the prayer answered or is the prayer not answered? I could argue that the prayer is not answered because in your in the person's mind, what they actually meant was, I want my loved one to recover from the sickness and this illness and be out of the hospital in two days or within a week. That's what they're thinking, but that's not what they said. Mm -hmm. In my mind, as the person wielding the magic, I say they are at peace. You did not say you wanted them out of the hospital. You wanted them to do better. They're not in pain anymore. They've moved on to their next assignment. (sighs) Yeah. No, so does matter. It's interesting because, you know, I remember um, on, and I couldn't tell you which podcast it was, but um, you talked about your, your grandmother, I think it was your grandmother, and um, she was a, a Christian woman, a, a fairly devout, I believe, but oh, yes. she would say things like, uh, and if I remember this correctly, if she was upset with somebody, she would say, oh, I hope the devil rides your back all night long. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and and so... Phrase. And and that worked. I mean, it, is that magic on some level? Absolutely, a hundred percent. And that, it's funny because that's one of the um, one of the areas that I started to really understand what magic was. And to me, magic is nothing but wielding the power of um, that exists within the world. That's to me. In a base level, that's all magic is. How you wield that power, whether through voice, whether through ceremony, whether through your energy, it doesn't really matter for me. What you're doing is you're saying, I believe that this thing called magic exists, one. Two, I believe that I am worthy and or able to wield that power. Three, I have confidence to do it. It's really a three-step process with me. Mm. Like Nothing more, nothing less. I do not look at magic from a space of having a. This is where people get hung up. People think magic has some kind, some kind of moral ramifications with it. Like magic has a moral compass. Magic does not. Mm-hmm. Magic is like a gun. Magic is like a house. Magic is like a car. No one looks at their Mercedes and thinks my Mercedes has a soul. 
my Mercedes is good or my Mercedes is bad. No one processes that. Mm-hmm. No one goes into their living room saying, oh, my God, this chair is grieving for attention. This 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 table over here is evil to its core. No one processes any of their electronics like that. Magic, to me, is in the same context. It is a tool. Now, how you use it is up to you. You can sit in the chair or you can throw the chair at your spouse. Pick one. Mm. <laughs> One's going to get you in trouble. The other one is going to be used for its intended purpose. So so is it so, fair to say that, and I know I know there's a lot of differences, I, I do, but, but is it, as, a, as an elementary introduction, is it fair to say that the different techniques involved, whether it's chaos or, um, um, I guess, more of a, 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 I don't know, a witchy type of practice or even the ceremonial, are those all accessing the same power but through a different means? I say it like this. I think the power is the same. I think the process is the the process and the person is the thing that allows you to actually leverage the power that you're working with. Great example. I was talking about chairs. Well, one person, okay, to me, the chair, okay, let's just say this one. The chair is made out of wood. Okay, obviously chairs, um, well, it's actually a really good example. Someone says, I want a chair. Let's just put it in a beginner standpoint. Somebody says, I want a chair for my living room. Okay, great. Then I say, what type of chair? Well, what do you want it made out of? Metal, wood, or plastic? Let's just keep it those three things. Um, I don't know which one is better. Depends on what you're going for. Mm. I I don't say plastic is better than metal. I'm not going to say metal is better than wood. I'm going to say depending on what your desire is, your aesthetic, depends on which tool I use. To me, it's still a chair. A chair is still a chair. Mm-hmm. What it's made out of is a, a different conversation. So when it comes to magic, to me, magic is the tool, the thing that is <coughs> that the tool is made out of is oftentimes the point of conversation. I, so I do believe that certain materials have different feelings, experiences, they have um, a different, it takes longer to work with certain materials than other materials. So if I keep that same analogy, let me continue with that for a moment. Okay, I want a chair. Well, I can buy you a chair for Wayfair or Overstock. It can get shipped, it can get delivered. Or we can go to Walmart and pick you up one today. You can have it now. Or, guess what? I can actually make chairs. So, well, I can make, let's say, a wooden chair. I have no skill set to make you a plastic chair because I don't know how to work with that material. I do not know how to make you a metal chair because I don't know how to work with that material. Wood, I can. Now, it's also going to take time. And I've got to have a lot of other equipment to be able to manipulate the materials to give you the thing that you desire. That's probably going to take the longest to me, that's a great example of magic all around. So it's almost very difficult for me to say it's all the same power. Mm. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it, it depends on how you're using it. I I would say I believe that, uh, like 
if we talk about it's all the same power, in a sense, it all produces power. I probably would say it that way. All the metals, all the ingredients um, are powerful. I probably wouldn't say that they are all the same power. Because okay. I wouldn't say metal is the same power as wood, as the same power as plastic. You know, they have different uses, um, but they're not the same. So when we talk right? about something like your your grandmother, as an example, um, what she's what she was doing there, would you label that as magic on some level? Oh, absolutely. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look at, like, the chair. The chair is the goal. What materials we use to build the chair is the argument that all, most of us have, but the goal is still the chair. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother, when she says, I hope the devil rides your back, the goal was compliance. The goal was submission. The goal was following instructions. If you disobeyed that law or that rule and got her upset then then she figured out how to to get her goal met which is she could have prayed she could have asked jesus and she did to help she would cry she would fast she would you know ask other people in the church to pray on sundays um, right before in testimony service she did all that Mm -hmm. and when that didn't work or didn't work as fast as she wanted to she then went to realizing that you know well, why do I need to pray to God when God rides, resides within me through the evidence of speaking in tongues because she was Pentecostal? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> uh, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So why am I praying to God outside when God already dwells on my tongue? So therefore, I hope the devil rides your back tonight. So to me, that's how I grew up understanding, like, okay, she's not denying the power of Christ because she's using her own power. And I, that's why we, it's so funny because, this is how everyone tends to go with magic. Like, well, you're using it as a substitute for some other divine power. And I argue that it's actually quite the opposite. For you to be a magician is actually the greatest sign that you do believe in a higher power or a deity. And that that particular deity trusts you enough with that level of power to get what you want. It, it's actually a hell of a lot easier for the deity because then they don't have to micromanage and babysit you. Mm-hmm. They actually trust you enough to give you the keys to the car because now you're 16 and you've been trained to drive a car versus you're still acting like a five-year-old. So to me, someone that wields the power of, of magic is someone that actually has matured to a space to be able to do it. Yeah, you know, D- uh, Damien Eccles it, in his book, yeah. High Magic, um, I, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow the quote a little bit, but he said um, in there one of the things that we that people have to realize, or one of the first things they need to realize, is everybody is doing magic already. So, Correct. and it's I you know they're not proficient at it obviously, but they're doing magic already. I, I guess you would explain that they're doing that through their will and intention. They're doing that through their words. How would you expound upon that? I I look at it from this standpoint. To me, magic is is a entity that has a gift that still desires to use its gift. No different than anybody else on the planet. You know, someone that has the ability and desire to be a teacher will inevitably teach. Someone that has a desire and gifting to be a mechanic will inevitably fix a car. You know, and continue that process on. If you're called to speak or to be a speaker, you're that asshole kid in school that won't be quiet <laughs> and gets in trouble 
then you're the one that is talking all day long and annoying your friends and family. Later, when you become Bob Proctor or Pastor Joel Osteen, people love you because you're in your calling. At the beginning, you haven't become proficient in it. Mm -hmm. You haven't found your avenue. So to me, magic is the same place. Magic is is everywhere desiring to be used. That, and people don't look at it like this oftentimes that, let me put it back to God and spirit for, for a moment. I, and I still pray to the Holy Spirit. I, I very much um, still have those Pentecost roots in me. I still speak in tongues. I actually just taught a, a master class to our new mind community on speaking in tongues. So with that being said, I, I still am very much in that space. Love it. Um, and one of the things that I was talking to them about is that oftentimes we look at spirituality or the, the magical community very unidirectional. Mm-hmm. For, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's either all coming from the ethers and from the spirit world to us, or it's all coming from us asking for it to spirit. And while that sounds directional, how I said it, it's really not. It's always we tend to be like a one-way thing we did this in a church you know we're going to pray and oftentimes it was a one-way thing well we're praying to god but we never hear god back mm-hmm. or when we're silent god kind of talks and tells us what to do and then we argue that because we have trust issues right right always one way or the other very rarely is it a a communication that happens bi-directionally i'm talking jesus talking we're having a conversation like you and i are having a conversation right now to me going back into the space of magic all the times people look at magic that same way either the universe is just throwing things on us or we're just asking for things hoping that we get it back but it actually it becomes very impersonal it becomes very transactional which i i try to stay away from magic in that space because i think it's very newbie and or immature space to look at it versus me i look at magic like a person magic gets just as much benefit out of me manifesting something as I get uh, proud of manifesting it, I get the same joy. Mm. The chair gets just as much joy about being functional and operational as a chair that I do sitting in it. Because me going through the whole process to create a chair, I created purpose for the chair. Me cre- doing magic and wielding magic, I actually create a purpose for the magic. Otherwise, the magic stays dormant, mm. waiting for it to be used. So, yes, I believe magic is completely all around, just like trees are all around. <laughs> yeah. It's all around us. That's We're not in a shortage of trees or water or any other kind of element. Yeah, you know, the but, interesting thing is you mentioned, yeah. you talk about King James, because it, as you as you look at, you know, if we take it... Uh, for the the sake of this particular conversation if we if we take a look at history prior to King James who really I agree with you I, I did quite a lot of studies on on him um, he did have a lot of issues um, sexually particularly for the time that he was in and then yeah. later on in his life became very afraid of of witches and blamed them for everything and there be, you begin to have this sort of this separation where if you look at if you take the the book uh, uh, the Bible as a, as any type of historical reference, it seems to me, and we can talk about the disciples casting lots to 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 pick a replacement for Judas, or we can look at um, 
Simon the Sorcerer, and, and it, magic was always very much a part of the community, and it wasn't a demonized part of it. It wasn't looked at as bad. It was just something that was, it wasn't really in the fabric of, of their lives. Um, and prior to King James, I think it was just, it just was, right? It, it wasn't something yes. scary or weird. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. It, it was completely fair to say. And, and I think that's the challenge oftentimes. I think it's a human condition too. Like when we don't understand something or when we've not had experience with something, then we there always tends to be the spirit of rejection. Initially, mm-hmm. um, this spirit that shows up when we try to demonize it because we have not had the experience. Yeah, I mean, I know I grew up like this. I'm pretty sure you have because most people that grew up Pentecostal or charismatic have. Well, if you didn't grow up charismatic or Pentecostal, you think all of these people are crazy nut jobs and need psychiatric treatment or medication because from the outside, when you see out of like Pastor Benny Ham, whom I still like Pastor Benny, I was a partner with him for years. I still donate to this day. Um, and, and several other people that, um, when you look at this on TV or maybe even go to a, a crusade <laughs> when that's allowed again, <laughs> it seems weird. It's like people are just falling in the floor and people are speaking in an unknown tongue. Like you sound like drunk people. Um, it, it's odd. Until you have your own experience and you're like, Oh crap, this thing actually exists. Which is why I actually love skeptics personally. I love people that have that cautiously critical mm-hmm. <laughs> um, of the process because those are the people that actually have the best experiences because they don't have a they don't have this filter they're tempted to believe, which oftentimes uh, believers actually uh, can sometimes be the worst people to try to do magic. Well, people that have a background in spirituality or religion often are the worst because to them, they've learned or they have this very immediacy about practice that oftentimes blinds them from actually receiving the power of it because their perception is, well, if I pray or if I pay maybe two or three times or if I do this particular you know, structure, things are going to happen. What you mentioned earlier, it becomes very dogmatic of a process that they learn from religion, they bring into magic. They have a very difficult time mm. because magic is a designed as a dogmatic practice. It's, it's dynamic in, in nature. If I were using the mics as an example, like it's not static, it's dynamic, which means it shifts, it changes. You've got to be able to, you know, without being offended, see what's working, what's not working. It's a moving target. Um, you've got to commit to it. It, it become, again, I don't think you can do magic without it being, you can't do magic well without it being a life work. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic back to the topic. <laughs> I digress slightly. We understood criticism very well because people didn't have that charismatic experience. I think magic is the same way. I think it's easy to demonize it when you haven't had the experience. And if, you think is demonic or evil you won't even attempt to have an experience which always puts you in a space of you're believing something you actually had no experience with which is what i actually say is a problem with most people in religion and spirituality like even with my community i tell, i'm very upfront about this which is always i think this is weird because i get 
touted as like a cult leader, which I don't have a problem owning that title either. <laughs> um, or heretic. I actually have started calling myself that. Like I'm America's number one cult leader. Appreciate it. Um, I don't mind being called heretical or sacrilegious, antichrist, whatever. At this point, it's, it's quite irrelevant. Because my people know the experiences they have with me. And so I always say this, like, my people are not here because they're blind followers. If anything, my people are the opposite. They're the rebels, the renegades, the very outspoken ones. So they're not here because they're weak, spineless people. <laughs> um, they're here because they are commanders in their industry, that they are, they've been doing this for years. Sure, we have a couple of newbies there um, all around, but they are very much free thinkers. They're there because they've had an, they're here because they have an experience and have experiences that they say like, well, shit, I didn't believe this before. Now I do. I used to think this was crazy. Now I don't. The reason I am like this is because the time to have the experience. Magic is no different. Like if you give it opportunity, like sincere opportunity to work it and work and you can get beyond the fear attached to it then we're good but i've said this especially from people in the christian community is that everything flows from god and if you have the perspective that god is good then any and everything that flows from god is therefore good can people use it for evil sure we could argue that all day you know of course but People could also use God for evil, mm -hmm. for good. So to me, that's of no consequence. It's no different than somebody, like I've got four kids. One of my kids can go to school right now and say, my dad told me to this A, B, and C, or my dad told me not to do my homework. And they can use me for good or for evil. Mm -hmm. Remember, daddy told us not to touch the stove because it's hot. They can use me for good or for evil. Yeah, it's they just like, I mean, me. there, there, is, there really isn't black magic right i mean it's magic yeah, so, simply yeah, black is magic, my, it's like it's just magic so i don't yeah. ever say like it's black magic it's great magic it's white but no magic is magic no can there be different sure types um to help us describe how it's used sure like is it like a um a coat 45 gun or is it you know i don't know something else, a nine millimeter yeah, sure, depending on what you're using. I don't know, you probably don't want to take a 9mm to go hunt deer. It's just not the best tool versus a rifle, <laughs> you know? But it's still a gun. And it can be used for good or, or bad. It can be, And it can be used for good or for bad. It, the gun can be used to defend or just pleasure, go shooting in the woods, or to kill people. Yeah. To me, magic is the magic. You know, I think sometimes it is helpful to describe what type of magic you're using. Sure. But even if, I, if somebody says, like, oh, I'm using black magic or chaos magic for evil intent, to me, I still come back from the same position. The magic is not evil. The intention <laughs> that you're wielding the magic is for evil intent, which, again, I'm not saying we never should do that. I'm not saying we should never do what we call baneful magic. I'm just saying if you do that, you need to understand the ramifications with it. But I say this with every tool. If you're... you having the ability and money to go buy a chair from Walmart is completely different from you being able to wield like really high powered machinery to make that chair. You can kill yourself doing that mm -hmm. if you have not had training. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know how many people have cut off their hands in the shop 
Because even if they were trained how to, to work with wood, or people have lost eyes or lost their life, versus, I mean, who's really saying, like, oh, my God, somebody lost their life by going to Walmart to buy a, a, a chair? <laughs> uh, I, I guess maybe if there's a car accident or a tornado hits Walmart, but, like, you're not – we don't process it that way. But we do process safety in regards to heavy machinery. To me, magic is the same way. Depending on the type of magic you're wielding and the tools that you're working with, can it be detrimental to your health and life? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and people that have worked it understand exactly what I'm talking about. Now, is there another type of magic? Kitchen magic, you know, herbal magic, that I don't really have that caution when I hear people talk about kitchen magic. Okay, you're using cinnamon and cloves. And you're using herbs and thyme. Okay, cool. I mean, I, maybe we could teach you how to better be, be more proficient in it. But I'm not necessarily concerned about you dying or killing somebody with, you know, basil. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if you're doing entity magic and you're calling on, um, you know, I don't know, King Paimon, who's a demon king, I would be a little cautious and concerned. Like, you realize that King Paimon is a psychological demon, a very powerful demon. So you need to be very mindful about, one, working with that spirit. Two, how to call it forth. Three, how to ask it to leave, how to banish it, how to keep yourself safe, safe, mentally speaking, while you're trying to use that power. And no one uses King Paimon if they don't have some type of very, very strong (laughs) intention and it's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, he's meant to actually produce a lot of heavy work. Um, and could it be considered evil? Yeah, potentially. Um, but I would say, if anything, it's more manipulative. I don't know if that's evil or good. It's, I guess it depends on what side of the <laughs> manipulation you're on. Mm-hmm. So to me, yeah, magic is the magic. How you use it, different context. But again, here's the funny thing. I've said the same thing with Christianity and with the Holy Spirit. I can, we can use the Holy Spirit to kill people. We actually have examples of that in the scriptures. <laughs> Very interesting. Yep. So, we, I mean, countless experiences with Spirit dropping people dead on the spot. And, you know, Anais and Sapphira yep. dead on the spot. You know, when we talk about the, um, oh my God, what's the boy, the, the sons of Sceva, uh, I mean, getting in there and uh, having disciples call down fire, having, I mean, we can go on and on and on. So spirit does have this, and when I say spirit, let me take it out of the, because I know I can hear somebody say it right now, well, you're, you're, if you're a dispensationalist, then spirit doesn't show up until, you know, after Jesus, but I'm just going to group everybody together for my scholars out there uh, to say, I, when I say spirit, spirit is all encompassing of the spiritual experience of the Bible. Yeah. So to me, Elijah calling down fire from heaven is the powerful working of spirit on his life. Very no different than Jesus walking on water with spirit. You know, even though we can argue the spirit didn't come until the day of Pentecost, etc. Whatever. <laughs> right, um, I agree. Whatever. I don't want to get to a theological debate with some people with that conversation. But all that to say, you can use it for for good. Or use it for evil. Again, depending on, I would say, depending on the maturity and mastery of the person. And I think that's the only difference when people can prove it, is the level of maturity to be able to hold that power and the level of mastery to see it all the way through. 
That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that magic is discriminatory. You know, it's funny because when you, you know, I, I think one of the first steps probably for a lot of people is like tarot cards, for instance, right? Or, or even, oh, yeah. a, even a pendulum. Um, and from the outside, you know, before I ever had any experience with this, you know, you would see a, a, a set of tarot cards on a, a shelf in a store or something. And, you know, you just get all that, all those creepy feelings. But, uh, you know, it's evil and it's demonic and all this kind of thing. But it's funny because when you look, you know, we talk about the casting of lots to for the replacement of Judas. I mean, that's the same type of practice. It's divination, just a different tool, right? So it's, right, it's, right. it's always been a part of, I guess, the human uh, experience, uh, you know, using tools for divination, uh, using uh, God forms or spirit for different workings and different actions. And so as you start to, I think, demystify magic, um, you realize that there's, I guess there's different ways of looking at it, different tools to use it. You know, I, I think of Crowley, who I would have just believed to be the devil, and I know he did a lot of horrible things. But you, you also have to understand that there was a genius there as well. Um, oh, yeah. And so... Uh, you know, when when I think about chaos magic, it's it it's sort of a um, an offshoot, really, of what Crowley was doing. I, I know um, the maybe the 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 birthplace of it was um, uh, Osmond Austin Spare, who mm-hmm. I, I think liked what what Crowley was doing. I know they had a relationship, and um, but but thought maybe you know there, there's there's too much here there's too much ceremony too much this too much that and so he sort of went off and did his own thing so i guess there's different tools and it's a shame that we just you know we either look at it as as black and white when really nothing is really black and white it, you, would you agree yeah i would agree um on that it's yeah i would just say it just is I think this is where we get people get in trouble when they try to philosophize and intellectualize magic. Mm-hmm. Um, while there is that intellectual working, like to use your intellect in it to try to under, like for instance, this is a great thing. Magic is the oldest time, or is life itself, or depth, it, like it is, it's timeless. Us trying to comprehend a timeless thing with a very finite human consciousness based upon our 20, 30, 50, 60 years on this planet and our individual's experiences, I think it's just immature to try to do. Mm. <laughs> Which is, this is why I always argue, like, you trying to, anyone, trying to philosophize God or magic or divination is a fruitless and futile experience. It's dumb. Like, because we'll, uh, what will happen is you'll we'll end up getting into this cyclical rant back and forth to say, well, maybe it's this, or maybe it's this, or maybe if you do it this way, rather than saying it is, it's like, it's God. Now you choose not to believe in God or work and pray to God. Cool. But you try to understand like, well, where did God come from? Well, hell, I could argue this. God doesn't know where God came from. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what's the purpose of God? I don't know. God has a lot of infinite purposes. Pick one. So to, to even get to the nature of in a religious context, when people just say, well, God's purpose is this. Mm, that's the only purpose God has. That seems kind of boring for someone that has infinite possibilities. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why would God only create humans? If I had, now, again, now I will play devil's advocate with this. Well, if I had infinite power, I could do anything and everything I wanted to do it. Why would I only create one subsect of species? I, I would create a hell of a lot of species, and I would just play around with it and see what comes up next. Now, I'm not saying God did that or does that. I'm just saying that if it were me, in my little limited way of thinking, if I had that power, I would do a hell of a lot of great things. So I can't imagine that a being, even if we want to, if that is even great to call it that, that has a consciousness that's well expanded beyond mine, that doesn't even understand limitation, would limit itself to simply creating humans. So I say that because then I don't see a problem if that God also created aliens Mm -hmm. or another conscious species to me you're like well of course why would you not do that that's literally like there's one parent that says i only want to have one child and there's another parent that says i want to have 20 i think the child the parent that says they want to have 20 kids is a little crazy <laughs> but it is within their power to do so if your wound can ha- have it or if you can afford to adopt that many kids sure <laughs> go at it but it doesn't mean that you are wrong or right because you have 20 kids and the other person has one child. It's literally a preference. Yeah. It's a desire. So, uh, so I said all that to say when it comes to, you know, magic and it's like magic just is like, you know, however much we create with magic or as little as we create with magic doesn't really it's not really a good metrics with trying to understand what magic is. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is confusing. I think for some people, especially if you come from, you know, when I was in, um, so I started out in a oneness Pentecostal setting, um, which, you know, didn't believe in the Trinity. And then I went <laughs> from that to, um, the assemblies of God. Um, and, and so all of that was a theological, exercise so then when you come to magic right and and you've and you you begin to expand and and you see well there's enochian there's ceremonial and and there's chaos and there's maybe what you more in line with um like scott cunningham which is uh, maybe more of a natural i'm not sure what they would call that um you've got all these different uh maybe styles or, or or types and from a theological mindset, you want framework, and um, correct. And framework isn't always available. It, it seems. You know, it's interesting. Um, I would say framework always available. People don't take the time to search the f- different types of framework. Okay. It's it's interesting because okay, I'll say it this way. Like I am, I'm probably a very outspoken um, person leader when it comes to the New Age community. To me, New Age community is nothing but Christianity repurposed. Period. There is nothing about the New Age community that is new. Nothing. (laughs) Um, There are some religions I would say like, um, oh, what's Michael Bentwitz? can't think of what it's called right now. Anyway, um, New Thought. There you go. New Thought. New Thought is nothing but Christianity repurposed. That's it. I would argue Christianity is nothing but Judeo Judaism repurposed. Mormonism is nothing but Christianity and Judaism repurposed. Everybody's repurposing their, their stuff. It's nothing that, that's that 
drastically new, right? Um, so, great example, new age community. They have what they call light language. Well, boo, that's just speaking in tongues. Pentecostals and Charismatics have been speaking in tongues for years. That ain't new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you survey the new age community and how it came to be, arguably most of the new age community are, are church rejects. Yeah. You know, they, they came from the church, whether forcefully or whether through their own faith pushing them beyond Christianity, doesn't matter, Same produces the same result. Then they went into a, I'm not spirit, religious, I'm spiritual context, which is pretty much saying I have faith without framework. Yeah. Well, the problem is we will always create a framework. It's literally like Moses going up to the mountain, give it time, Moses, when you come back, they're going to have a framework because you left. <laughs> you're the you were the framework, but if you leave, they will build another framework in in your place. We we creatures are creatures of habit, which is why I love history. So New Age community came from the same faith without the framework. Well, the problem is they they will create a framework around it, mm-hmm. like speaking in tongues. Like I know a lot of New Age people that speak that speak in tongues. They call it light language. Well, we grew up in church doing that every Sunday. That ain't new. Or they talk about Christ consciousness in New Age. Christ consciousness coming from Jesus. Now, <laughs> I don't know how to tell you. Jesus is the central figure of Christianity. Yeah. Kind of, he kind of is a big deal. How are you talking about Christ consciousness but denying the power thereof? Denying the, the, the reference that it came from? You Because you created your own framework because... You, you despise the other one or you got rejected from the other one but we'll create the framework either way to me magic is the same way it's like okay anything that you want to do in magic there is a framework to it even if it is um lineage you know like magic that comes through your lineage uh, or instinctual magic like i would say i have a lot of instinctual magic like it's like it happens but there there's a framework to it I can teach people how, to, if they have, let's say, instinctual magic, which for people that don't understand what that is, is pretty much saying that like, you came out of the box like this. You came out of the womb with certain abilities, like it's very instinctual or innate. Sometimes people call it innate magic. One of mine is when I speak, things happen and things manifest, which is why I'm always very, very careful in how I have conversations. So even in this conversation, you will hear me pause quite a bit. I'll process what I'm going to say before I say it, and then I'll speak, which it, it, it can be annoying <laughs> at the beginning, but later you understand why. If somebody asks for me to pray or they ask my opinion on something, I, I'm always processing mm-hmm. because I understand what the gravity of how my words work and how fast they work. So even even if it's jest or funny, like a lot of times people are like, oh, he's very serious. I am very serious. I'm also fun to be around, but I'm also very serious, especially when it comes to my words. So even in context where there's a lot of joking and things going on, if you if you ever see me in person, you'll see me ride that line very carefully hmm. because of this. That's a training. That's me, in a sense, putting a framework around my faith. That can be taught. That can be understood. But the problem is you'll get somebody else to say that has the innate ability that doesn't understand a framework exists. They will go out on their own and then they will 
go through trial and error to eventually come back to what I could have taught them 10 years ago, which was, baby, this is how you structure your spiritual life. Even if you have an a instinctual power, it there's a way to do it. But you got to be... Uh, I rarely use this word because <laughs> I think it's a, a horrible word if I had a characteristic in a lot of cases. You got to be humble enough to be able to admit you need help or there is help in a particular area. The problem sometimes with magic and when people study it surface level is it's almost very Marxist, you know, power corrupts absolutely, you know, um, kind of perspectives. Like people get really egoic and enamored with magic and they have this context about them or characteristic about them is that they they wanted to be theirs. They wanted to be their power. They wanted they wanted to say they were self-made when it came to magic. And arguably, I think that's also immature because there's nothing that's self-made. Like everyone that's using magic, you are Googling something. Mm-hmm. You are going to Amazon to buy a book. You are listening to YouTube clips. You're listening to a podcast. You didn't create this shit by yourself. You didn't just wake up this morning and say, oh my gosh, here are the the five planets to call on Archangel Mikael, and here's the candles to use, and here's, you know, how Archangel Mikael is translated in five other different religions as a different being by this name. You're not, you didn't come up with that. You read it, which says you are not self-made, you are pulling from the same material as everybody else, and somebody else did the same thing prior to you. If we keep going back as far as we can, we'll eventually run into someone that had a powerful experience they documented that thing, and they, they wrote it down, and they passed that knowledge around for as long as they could till eventually it showed up on Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just the process. So it's almost funny when I hear people say, I'm a solitary practitioner. How? Right. Like, that. You. that's so oxymoronic. Like, you had to learn how to put those herbs together, and you did not learn it by yourself. You learned it from someone. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing the thing about it that's strange, I think, for, for so many people, and, and maybe you can offer some perspective on it, um, you know, when you look at, uh, and, and it's funny because I hear people outside of the church say, oh, I'd never get involved in the church. All you guys do is argue with each other. But then when you look at the, the magical community, that. yeah, there is for sure. But when you look at the magical community, you, I, I see, you know, oh, uh, ceremonial magic is, you know, there's just, there's just too much formalities with that. That's ridiculous. Oh, chaos magic is, it's just, that's just stupid. That's just for people that, you know, don't want to study or uh, natural magic is, you know, for 15-year-old goth kids that, you know, are going through puberty. And, and you, you see a lot of arguing on some of these, uh, within some of these magical communities. And so I think it begins to become, from someone from the outside, it's hard to know really where to start. You know what I mean? Because there's so yeah. many different systems. Uh, I know Chaos Magic gets some bad vibes connected with it. But um, someone like Jason Louvre, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, he's not a, I don't think you, by any stretch anybody would, would, could say that he's an unlearned or ignorant individual. He, mm-hmm. you know, he seems to be very intelligent and, and um, discusses 
his practice pretty well. Now I know he does ceremonial magic as well, but um, from the outside or, or for the new person beginning, how do they tackle that ocean of different systems available? You know what? That's a great question. Um, one of the things I um, often advise is now this is this becomes almost challenging for someone to still work through their trauma response <laughs> if they come from any type of religious background. But the first thing I would say is what I often see people do is throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. You know. You left Christianity because everybody's horrible. No, beloved. The assholes that you went to church with were. But let's just be clear. Right. You're going to go to another church or go to school or go to a community or join some life coaching program. And you're going to find another group of assholes. That's right. not specific to a church. And, and I say it's funny. I say this in defense of people, in defense of the Christian church. There's nothing wrong with the Christian church. There's actually nothing wrong with Christianity. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. Love Jesus. Jesus is cool. I know a lot of people think like, oh, my God, he just hates Jesus. Like, I've never said that mm-hmm. in 38 years. It's never come out of my mouth. Now, well, at least not publicly. I might have privately had a few words with Jesus, you know. <laughs> um, me, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I've, Jesus and I have had lots of many words, you know. But publicly, no, that's just not even me because I understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because I people would realize that their current faith structure and ideology probably has everything they need and desire within it already. If they just dug a little bit deeper, it's like magic. You can be a Christian witch and Christian magician. If you want to, the Bible's full of magic. Mm. (laughs) The Psalms are used in magical work a lot. You know, there are whole schools of, magical thought that only use the Psalms as their point of magical practice. So you can still be Christian, believe in the Bible, work through that whole space and still be a magician. I could say the same thing for Buddhism or Hinduism, because magic also exists in those realms as well. Um, even in the Quran or without Muslim friends. Uh, so a lot of times if people can work through healing and uh, letting go of the anger, they would eventually find that they can, easily go back into a faith that they grew up with or they was very dear to them to find the magic. That's one. Two, I would say is there's nothing like good old research. Um, but I always group research with developing what you learn in the research, which means a little bit of R&D, but in a different way. That if you research something, research something according to what um, you might not know or they might not know exactly what they're looking for but they know the feeling they're going with they they know what they're they're possibly trying to achieve right so i say start to get a little bit more specific oh i want to do magic okay for what means or to what end well because i want to um i want to build my business and i want some magic to help me do that okay great just go into google and type in you know using magic to build business you're going to find something. I don't know anything off the top of my head, like a person to send that to you. I mean, you can mm-hmm. come to me or uh, Kaisi or some other magical practitioners that actually know what they're doing. But there's not a lack of knowledge and a lack of information. You can find it. <clears throat> but here's what I always say, and hopefully people follow the instructions, is that find something 
and learn how to work that one thing until it becomes part of you. Mm. Not something you profess, but it becomes you. I've said, but I've said this across the board, even with religion. Like, listen, to be, to use the Bible effectively, you don't need even need the whole Bible. You need one aspect of the Bible that you actually believe. If, and I think this is probably where, <clears throat> excuse me, where I have been a little controversial when it comes to the Bible because of how I position the Bible, which is to say, I think the Bible in its full context becomes the thing that is never used and or understood. Mm-hmm. It's literally like, like someone telling me, um, someone says, I'm an expert at the Bible. How are you an expert at the Bible? You're not an expert in geometry and you went to school for geometry. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to school for um, for the Bible. And no, church does not count because most churches are not school-oriented and structure-oriented. Maybe you went to Sunday school, what, 30 minutes every month? Doesn't count. So there is an aspect of, I tell people like, be okay with becoming a student. Be okay with learning. Be okay with training. If you, we went to the Bible and all you learned was John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That one scripture right there could not just save your soul but save your life while you're here. If you can just fine tune that scripture in and milk it for all it's worth. Uh, and so I say that when it comes to magic, you don't need to learn everything about magic. You need to find one aspect of magic that you can work and works with you and for you that and that becomes the thing that you believe. Because interesting enough, even in Christianity, people people become what they believe. So and who they become and what they believe, there is a body of work around that. Like if I say I believe that miracles and the power of spirit exists that came that belief comes from the charismatic Pentecostal persuasion that I grew up in because I saw people walk out of wheelchairs walk out of hospitals with stage four cancer and were completely healed I saw blinded eyes open so someone trying to convince me that miracles don't exist especially from a Christian context is the stupidest fight now, that may be their experience, but that's not mine, so there's no way you can convince me out of my experience. I saw it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the other people with me saw it, and the person that had cancer definitely saw it and witnessed it. <laughs> We're arguing experiences again. So I tell them, like, the number one enemy and ally when it comes to spiritual practice is experience 100% of the time. That, that would be the, the devil in your ear telling you it doesn't work. Is not for you, and it will also be the greatest angel and ally on the other end saying, this is for you if you just believe in it. Those are the conversations that are always happening, and the only thing that's going to stop or silence one of those voices is experience. If you get in there and do it and work it, even to the point I've I've said this with Christianity too, or any faith, I think that faith tends to only get activated once people actually drop their faith. And say, to hell with God, I don't believe in this crap anymore, this makes zero sense. And then when they've lost the dogmatic approach to their faith, they then find the dynamic of their faith. It's like the scriptures say, in order to lose your life, um, to gain your life, you must lose it. Mm -hmm. It, It's very much like magic. If if people can lose the immediacy that they think is going to happen from magic, and it does happen once you learn the mastery of it. If people can lose what they think magic is supposed to be, 
based, arguably based upon people that really weren't working magic masterfully, they'd find it. Mm. But you got to dig deeper into it and try it and be okay with failing. Be okay with finding, trust me, there's a community for everything. Find a community that is somehow on that track and learn from that. But I, I'll say what I always encourage people not to do is don't become, you know, an information hog. I was going to say whore, but I was trying to be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> don't be an info whore. It's not, you're not going to gain anything from learning all that information. It's, it's actually useless. You may be great at, I don't know, a party where you're able to be a dictionary mm-hmm. and all your expressions are just things you can get from an encyclopedia. You can quote it, but it doesn't mean that you actually know it. It's like I know a whole lot of people that can read the scriptures back and forth and still don't have the power that comes along with it. But I know some old school grandmothers and grandpas that, you know, can barely read, but all they knew was Jesus heals and they just became healers off of that, you know, by his stripes, we were healed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm t- I, that's why it's really funny because I, I, I probably took and have taken a lot of that even religious structure that I saw in the church and I put it back into the spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual community and magic community. And say, I'll tell you, I saw more then and to this day, more power and manifestation for people that had no training and no concept. They also didn't have any other options either. And I think this is where it became more powerful for them. Mm-hmm. Is they, they didn't have this theological scholarly background and commentaries and you know the Strong's Concordance. They didn't have any of that. They had faith. And mm. they had a belief that whatever they were believing was the only truth that was available. And so they manifest very quickly. I believe most people don't experience healing because they have options. You have Tylenol. You have the emergency room or urgent care. You have, I don't know, elderberry. Why would you need to believe in spontaneous healing where you can go buy it from CVS. Yeah, this kind of leads into, um, and this will be my my last question, and I'll I'll let you go. But um, somebody who is expanding, you know, somebody who's been a Christian for forever, and but they they've always felt the the pull or the tug, you know. Um, well, how would you? How would you suggest they they traverse those waters? I know you got to let go of fear first, or at least some of it. But um, you, you've kind of touched on it a little bit. How do you begin that process of, of expanding and, and opening yourself up to things that maybe were demonized, uh, you know, before? You know, um, you can't. That's a great question. Um, you. One of the things I've often said with people is that you can't conquer something you won't confront. Mm. So people that keep trying to, you know, conquer sin, you won't even confront sin. You won't have a conversation with sin. You won't have a conversation with evil. So how are you actually conquering the thing that you won't show up to face? It's like saying, we're going to go to war, but you never fired a bullet. Mm-hmm. You're going to send somebody else possibly, but you're not necessarily going to war yourself. So one of the things I... Um, I like to look at it to say I find that most people don't actually most people that think things are evil or demonize um, or they're, they're demonizing are things that they have not 
actually had an experience with. I, I, I know I keep going back to this. I'm like a broken record. No, it's good. Um, but it's like people that say like, oh my God, demons are evil. Have you? Let's just go back in a very simple standpoint. Have you actually seen one, a demon, or the the power of a demon in a negative sense? If we're saying demons are negative, give me some experiences that you have had with demons in a negative context. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine out of ten people argue, or I would say 99% of the time, People can't even give me those experiences. And I say, give me a personal experience. Do not give me something you read in, in Pigs in a Parlor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay? We're not talking about that. I want you to give me your personal experience because if you're saying it's evil, you got to give me some context. Don't get, And I don't even want to know what the scripture says. Give me your experience. Now, I have. I can talk about, you know, people levitating and seven, eight-year-old girls being possessed and picking up grown-ass chicken field pastors and throwing them across the, the room i can give those experiences you know and i still come back to the same standpoint i don't cassette classify demons as evil no more than i classify angels as good michael archangel michael people call him michael you know incorrectly um he's a warrior angel like <laughs> like commander mm-hmm. archangel michael is not a quote unquote good peaceful angel he's a warrior he mm-hmm. fights <laughs> mm-hmm. you know if you want to get stuff done and you want to church stuff up send him right right very different from i would say lucifer who's the light bringer you don't really even in, in the mythos with lucifer you don't see anger frustration and warring when it comes to lucifer conniving sure cunning sure evil mm, not really it's just not in the mythos with him. So I, I, to stay on that point is to say, I don't even think it's fear that people are dealing with as it is fables. Like oh, that's, I, that's really good. I like that. that. This is not fear and it's not faith. It's a fable. It's a story that you have learned to articulate. I don't even say you believe that. I say belief comes from experience. You've not experienced it, so how can you believe something you've never experienced? You are simply articulating a story that you've heard over and over and over again, believing that you believe it, believing that it's true, not and it's not. Give me a story of a demon being evil with you. And most people can't. So I say this going back to a philosophy. Give me the time where you actually said, fuck you, God, and something evil happened. God got mad. God made you sick. God, you know, walked into your bedroom and had a conversation with you and said, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that. <laughs> I am going to give you can't give me that experience. You haven't. Mm-hmm. What you have done is you've articulated to me that your pastor told you in a pulpit that don't you ever blaspheme the Holy Spirit or else blah, 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 blah. Okay. As someone that has quote unquote done that, I'm still here. <laughs> as someone that has, has probably seemed by a lot of people it's extremely heretical, I'm still here. And I, I know a whole lot of other people too. Like so I argue like, well, if evil and magic and or even this is within us and if the divination and magic and sorcery we're doing is that evil, then God could just take us out at any point. God has not <laughs> yeah. at any point done that. I've not felt less than 
during the, this journey, I, I've actually felt more powerful, more connected to God, more loved by spirit than ever before. So what is the actual articulation and expression based on? It's literally based upon oral tradition. We heard it. We said it. We said it. Somebody else heard it. They said it. Mm. All of which has no experience. So I would say it's not a fear thing. It's more of an illusion that people are working with. I would say actually go, go head into it. Go head into the trauma. Go head into God hates me. Go deep into I'm going to go to hell. Actually go into that space. You've got to go into that quote-unquote fear in order for you to actually be free from it. It, it. I would say this level. Jesus has to die to conquer death so you don't have a fear of death. Mm-hmm. So in the Christian context, we understand this. Well, you know, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Death, where is your sting? Grave is, where's your victory? Why do I need to fear death when Jesus already took care of that? Why do I need to fear sickness when by his stripes I am healed? It, it, it makes no sense. So the same thing lands to be true on this end. Why am I fearful of magic when I would say God created magic and all things of yes and amen to me, all things are for my benefit to help me expand the kingdom of God, to be a great representative of God. So why would magic be something that's off limits to help me make God look better? Mm-hmm. That's crazy to me. <laughs> that's like me saying that, you know, yeah, it's just, it's almost, it's so, I can't even comprehend it. So trying to find an example that speaks otherwise, it's weird. To me, everything I do exemplifies the power of God. Mm-hmm. Every tool that I use makes God look better. Anything that takes away from that is actually doing God a disservice. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's that is so <laughs> profound. I, yeah, not dealing with fear, dealing with fables. That that is excellent. Uh, I I appreciate you spending time with me so much. I, I really do. It, uh, it means welcome. a lot to me, Prophet. And I I. Uh, <laughs> This has just been wonderful. I, I would love to have you on again if if uh, if we could make that happen because this has been profound. Yeah, I will. I will love that. And I mean, I would just say this part to close out that last um, train of thought is that here here's the 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 real truth of the matter. Once you, I have found that most people won't go head on into their fear because of one thing they're going to eventually realize that yeah god is not in the business of sitting here condemning you and challenging you to be smaller or to be a slave or to be a filthy rag you know uh, and a lowly servant contrary to those popular songs that's just not what's happening here and when people actually go into trying to prove god hates them because of magic or Magic is evil. When they go directly into that and they come out on the other end, what they're going to realize is they're going to realize that, huh, this is the great revelation that comes is actually responsibility. Mm. God is going to look back in, in you through the mirror and ask you, is this something you want to take responsibility for? Because what's happened prior to that experience is we are putting the responsibility back onto God to classify things as good or evil, to classify things as what we should or should not do, which actually alleviates us from our free will, one, two, it alleviates us from the responsibility if things go right or if things go wrong. 
Mm -hmm. So it allows for us to be extreme spiritual um, surveyors uh, and observers in a faith that we say is ours, and it's really not. What we're really doing is we're watching how God operates of the system of do's and don'ts and dogma in the lives of other people and choosing how we want to experience our life by way of that. Mm -hmm. It's completely different when you actually go in and figure out, "Mm, is my life actually going to be different if I hit this fear dead on, if I go into it? What what if I actually start doing all the things (laughs) that I was told not to do? Drink, smoke, fornicate, orgies, whatever it is smoke weed what how where are you going to be how is your faith going to be as you go through that because i'm not even going to i don't even believe people have a fear of losing their faith in god i believe what they if they had a fear which i don't believe they do if they had a fear the fear is going to be oh shit what's going to happen when i realize that god is not sitting here restricting me but god is trying to give me more responsibility to me to be more powerful in the planet Mm -hmm. then what's going to happen oh that's probably that's a hell of a lot worse because then what we find out is that God believes in us enough for us to be powerful, and then we have to wrestle with the truth is we don't either want to be powerful or we don't want to do what's necessary to maintain our power, which is inevitably going to come back to we are lazy. We are going to realize that maybe the, what we have believed in for 20, 40, 50 years is not actually true, that we could have been powerful a lot sooner in our life had we released those limiting beliefs around God that do not exist, which then is going to put us back into a place of regret and remorse for a consciousness we didn't have 10 years ago. That's the ultimate thing that's at stake, not whether God hates you or not. It's actually, can you deal with the reality that comes along with power and the reality that you're probably in a stage of your life right now because you didn't own this truth earlier? Mm -hmm. That's what I believe people have a problem with, which is why they won't do it. Mm-hmm. It's easy to talk about it, harder to actually do it. So, yeah. if that gets some context, to what I was mentioning earlier, but I will say that one little principle right there, when I have seen people do it, is the most healing aspect wow. to their life. It, it, it really is when you realize that like, crap, God has been for me the entire time, and. God even allowed me to believe in sin and destruction and hell and all these things of not to do because in in a weird sense, it was probably the most merciful thing to do because God kept me from my own regret. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> wow. You know, I'm like, yeah, I choose not to condemn myself. I'm not living with regret. I'm living with the full level of, I call radical responsibility to realize that whether I limit myself or leverage the power within me, God is still supporting me in either decision. And for that, it makes God a hell of a lot more powerful. Mm. It makes God more omnipresent. It makes God more integrated in my life, not less than. See, even as I say that, I feel spirit just expanding in that, that thought. To me, that becomes a hell of a lot more powerful positioning because then what I do is I stop limiting myself to say God only works in my Christian Pentecostal church on Sundays between the hours of 8.30 and 11.30 and then outside of that I don't speak or hear from it. Mm-hmm. And this like it's like 
God is in everything. God is with me when I'm having sex or masturbating or using the, the bathroom very much as on a live stream or teaching or speaking at a church. God is in the whole process, whether I'm using magic for good or for evil. God actually becomes the thing that is never leaving me or forsaking me. Yeah. The problem with the Christian context is God is always leaving as every time that you feel like God is disappointed or God has not, you know, authorized a certain activity. It becomes this whole schizophrenic spiritual spiritual experience where we don't even trust God, let alone a faith. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I'm all I'm wrestling with with people continually. It's like if I can get you to actually integrate God in all these areas, you will stop segmenting your relationship with God in every area. This yeah. has zero to do with God hating us. That is wow. That is. Ah, that is incredible. Prophet Calvin Witcher, man, thank you so much. This has been mind-blowing, so I'm going to have to process some of this information. But, um, yeah, blessings to you and uh, and everything uh, you. that you're doing. I, I Again, I, I know I keep saying this, but thank you so much for your time and, and your wisdom and, you know, really the gift that you're giving to humanity. I... I I deeply appreciate it, and I and I mean that I really do. Thank you so much. I really believe it. It was a profound experience to be here with you. I am so thankful. I'm thankful for the everyone that's listening. Uh, you know, it's always an honor because people have so many things they could listen to yes. <laughs> and, and and work with. So. Yep. Yeah. So uh, on you. the, I appreciate it. yeah, I will, um, on the other side of the, of the music, I'm going to give everybody the information about how to connect with you and, and your Facebook page and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, once again, blessings to you, uh, prophet. Thank you so much for being on the, on the podcast. You, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Have a beautiful day. So what a great conversation, man. I really, you know, there are so many people that I've had on the podcast that it just is such an honor to have them, um, on the podcast. And, and in some ways it just feels, um, it, it feels, I don't know how to explain it. Almost surreal, you know? there've just been so many great people that at times it's like, well, I, I'm so, I'm so excited to be having this conversation with this person to have their name connected to this podcast and to be able to bring this to so many of you that listen, there's been a serious evolution of my faith, um, since the first podcast to where we are today. There's a lot of things that have remained the same. My faith in Christ, um, in the cross, in um, really the scripture, although in a lot of ways I see it very, very different from what we would term evangelical Christianity. Um, my The expansion of my faith concerning Buddhism and magic and other influences from different spiritual paths that, that have expanded me. Um, and, and transformed me while still retaining my faith. You know, one of the things that I've always said is you can retain 
your faith. You can retain your connection to, the, you know, your God, right? To Christ in this case. And still expand and grow, become more diverse. And I think that this is something that was a very much a part of the early rendition of Christianity um, that was lost in the Dark Ages, that was lost as it sort of started to become this corporate entity. You heard the prophet Calvin Witcher and myself talk a little bit about that, and history really shows that to be true. And so many of us have so limited our experience based on, in fact, you know, it was my favorite line, and I told him so after the podcast. It was what he said in one part of the podcast that I felt just riveted by, and he said, um, uh, it, "It's your problem isn't fear; it's fable." And by the fable, I mean the um, so many of the lies that have been connected with the Christian faith, whether they're the angry God thing or whether it is the demonization of so many metaphysical truths that are just inherent to being a um, a living being to the ideas of hell, to the ideas of eternal torment and punishment, and on and on and on. There's so many fables connected, or so many little lies connected to this um, narrative that has been created, I think in many ways to control and to dominate, to create a theocracy, if you will, um, over over the masses, right? breaking away from that fable, allowing there to be a different story, allowing there to be a different narrative is a bold and challenging path to take. And and I applaud so many of you on the other side of this podcast that are taking that path. I applaud so many of you on the other side of, the, of, of this microphone that are taking that bold and daring move to allow God, to allow Christ to be reframed in the image that is presented within Scripture, within history. And I really think that it's a different narrative than what many of us have been told. And so I really do applaud you, man. I I encourage your continued growth and expansion whether it's as a mystic, whether it's as a Christian witch, whether it is um, just a deconstruction process that you're not yet really sure where this all leads to. I think most of us are on that path. I, I, um, yeah, man, it's, it's a bold and daring move. And I'm, if nobody else is proud of you, I am, right? And so, once again, to be able to bring individuals um, like the prophet, Calvin Witcher, um, to you guys, it, it's really an honor for me, and um, I love doing it. So, uh, once again, if you want to connect, uh, calvinwitcher.com is the best way to do that. Also, uh, you can find... Um, the prophet Calvin Witcher on Facebook. He's on Instagram. Um, he's on Twitter, I believe as well. I know he's really active on Facebook. And so that's probably your best outlet. 
Also, if you haven't uh, followed the Black Sheep Experience on Instagram and Facebook, go do that. All right, guys, I am out of here. Thank you once again so much for hanging out. Done. (laughs) 